Step one was moral compass work and figuring out what it is that you stand for. Step two is learning that you always have a choice. And as a special treat for today's episode in honor of Borderline Personality Disorder Awareness Month, we are going to talk about whether or not recovery is actually possible and my views on medication. I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. A few episodes ago, we talked about the first step in overcoming BPD through my perspective, and that was the development of a moral compass. I had said that if you don't have anything to stand behind, it's very difficult to develop an identity if you don't know what you stand for, right? So if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back, check it out, start this journey. Step two in recovery is to understand that you have choices. This is such a huge step in the recovery journey, and it goes hand in hand, actually, with moral compass work. So if you look at moral compass work and having good moral values, it essentially means that you want to become a good person. A lot of people that come and see me for treatment with borderline personality disorder feel like somehow they aren't good people or the behavior they engage in makes them bad people or monsters or, you know, just, you know, bad. So the development of the moral compass really helps people look at what they want to be, who they want to be. So I want you to think about whether or not you want to be a good person. I'm going to assume that if you're listening to this and you're looking for hope and help to recover from BPD, that you do want to be a good person or you want your partner or loved one to be a good person. So if you look at all of your core moral values and you get stuck, you know, I know a lot of people in the beginning, they get stuck because it's hard to look at that. And then also look at all of the emotions that you have and go, oh, I'm just going to wake up today and be honest. So I understand that. Let's take being a good person as this kind of blanket over all of the core values. Like that's the thing that's the most important. That's paramount. I want to be a good person. And then let's look at whether or not all of the choices that you make are choices that align with being a good person. So recently I had someone tell me in the relationship that they wanted the person that they're with. Actually, a lot of people struggle with this. When you want the person that you're with to text you back right away or to call you every night or to say goodnight to you every night, right? And those things seem really reasonable. It seems reasonable to, you know, for the person that you're dating or you're married to or even your best friend to just text you back right when you send them a message, especially if you know they're not busy or you can see that they're online you know, or whatever. So then maybe they don't text you back and you get upset and you start to feel insecure and you think that they don't love you or they're not respecting you or they're not validating you. Well, then you can go to your moral compass and you can look at this idea of being a good person and you can think, would a good person respect their partner's time and space and foster their autonomy and independence in the world? Or would a good person expect their partner to call them right away, to text them right away, to tell them they're 
good night every single night, even if they're away for a work conference or they're away doing something with their friends, just to assuage their own fears, just because they're insecure, what would a good person do? If that's what your goal is, right? If you want to be a good person, what choice will you make? And the answer is if you do truly want to be a good person, then even though it's difficult and it's scary and it's hard, you would have to make the choice that goes along the lines with the autonomy, with the space, allowing your partner to go off into the world, do whatever it is they're doing, and then make the choice to call and say goodnight and make the choice to text you. Not for you to say, okay, well, if you don't text me back right when I want you to, then I'm insecure, you're not validating me, you don't love me, I'm going to freak out, and I'm going to cut myself, right? Those are two very different things. So then you say, but how, but how? Well, it depends on how much being a good person matters to you, first of all, you know, and Second of all, it also, unfortunately, it takes repetition. So I know in dialectical behavioral therapy, they do talk about the ability to sit with uncomfortable emotions as being a part of recovery. It is so important to expose yourself to being uncomfortable. So remember that repetition at being scared or being afraid of something and then seeing it through, even though you're scared, it helps you trust yourself right because you see like oh i got through that right you get on the other side of it you wake up the next day and the sun's sun's still shining you're still alive you're still okay so the more you do that the more likely it will be that you'll be able to have the confidence in yourself that you need to allow your partner to go off into the world and then make the choice to come back to you without having to engage in that sort of controlling, smothering, even tyrannical behavior. Call me right now. Text me right now. Being aware of our power to make whatever choice we want is such a huge step in our recovery. I feel like for so many people with borderline personality disorder, we feel like our backs are up against a wall and that all we can do is wait for someone to validate us and then attack anybody who doesn't. And that, you know, it's, it oftentimes feels like the whole world is against us, right? Well, when you understand the power of choice, you can start to take back control of your life. I have some people that, you know, they come to see me and, you know, some, a lot of the things we work on are relationship stuff, right? Like, you know, I, I'm scared my boyfriend's going to leave me is a big one. And I say, well, is your boyfriend cheating on you? Is he, do you have proof of that? Is your boyfriend spending time with you? And usually the answer is, oh yeah, we spent all this time together. And I don't know if he's cheating on me, if he's on his phone. So then I say, well, who does your boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever, who does your partner choose every day? At the end of the day, who do they come home to? Who do they wake up to? Who do they choose to spend every hour of their day with on the weekends? That's a really powerful thought because we spend so much time with our backs up against a wall that we don't think about the choices of other people. We don't think about other people. We're thinking, me, you're going to leave me. You're not going to choose me. You don't want to be with me. 
But in reality, you know, we completely miss the fact that every single day, the person that we want to love us is sitting right there in front of us, waking up and choosing us actively. And I think, you know, the, the way that our minds twist things about is that we assume the reality to be that they aren't choosing us. We almost want that because we're looking to fulfill the prophecy that they're going to leave, they're going to reject us. So, you know, if you're dating someone, think about what I'm saying. Like, they choose you. They can do whatever they want. They don't need to stay with you. They could leave you. They don't need to be on their phone cheating on you. They could just go be with that person if they were actually cheating on you. Right? So in this effort to avoid being abandoned, if you don't look at the power of choice that someone else has to choose to be in your life, then you'll end up pushing them away. And then it's also, you know, you recognizing your own power of choice. I also get a lot of people that tell me they're dating and they latch on really quickly to people, but they don't really like them all that much. So are you dating someone that you don't really like just because, you, you know, you want them to like you? Think about that. What if you don't like them? You have a right to choose and evaluate the person that you're with whether, to see whether or not they're the right person for you. You know, if you're in a job that you don't like because everybody in your family tells you you should do that, you have a right to choose whether or not you want to go get educated in a different job or start your own business. You have a right to choose a different life path. If you want to, I mean, gosh, this is so powerful for me. This is where I get on my soapbox because when I learned the power of choice, I just started doing all kinds of things that I never thought I could do. I, there's this program on gymnasticsbodies.com and I wanted to do um, like a handstand and I wanted to be able to do gymnastics and I wanted to get really strong. So I started following this program and I woke up every day and I made a choice to do this gymnastics bodies program and I was able to do like a two minute handstand on a wall one time. I was able to do, you know, just all these really amazing things, strict pull-ups, things that I never could do because I didn't have the wherewithal to do them in the past. When I learned that I had the power of choice, I learned that I could do anything with a YouTube video. I sewed a blanket for my son for Christmas with some overlock sewing machine I got at a thrift store. I'm teaching myself how to play guitar now because I know that all I need to do is wake up every day, commit myself to the thing that I want, and then make the choice to make it happen. If you can see that you have choices, you can see how much control you have. I have so much more control than I ever thought possible by knowing that I have choices. So much more control. I talked to someone the other day who, you know, they, they're saying that they're holding out to get this one specific kind of job. But they're really not all that into it. So I said, why are you going to get this job if it's not something that you like? And, you know, there's so many other jobs out there you can do. And they were like, well, you know, my parents said that I should. And it just seems like the right thing to do. So go back to your moral compass work. Go back to being a good person. Do you really think it's a good idea to go and get a job doing something that you don't want to do while you're already having all of this emotional turmoil? I'm not saying don't get a job. Getting a job is a great idea because we need to have purpose when we have BPD in order to recover. But go get a job that you like. Go be a Starbucks barista. Like go do something fun. I mean, you know, money is money and money can always be made. So 
If you want to go get that job at PetSmart, go get that job at PetSmart. If the job at PetSmart won't pay your bills, learn how to train dogs and open your own business. Figure out what it is that you want and learn that all you have to do is make the choice every day, wake up and commit to that thing. You know, instead of committing to the idea that you'll always be sick, commit to the idea that you have a choice to make a change. If you're terrified of going out in public because when you go into a store in the mall, you think that people are talking about you or looking at you, make the choice to change the behavior. Go to the mall. Force yourself to go into that store and fake it till you make it. Recognize that you have a right to be there just as much as anybody else. And also recognize that you could just as easily turn to somebody and start talking crap on other people in the store just like you think they're doing for you. So you have the same choices as those people and they have the same choices as you. So don't assume that everyone has negative intentions. And we'll get into that, you know, a little bit later on. But assume that everyone is like you and everyone is a good person because that's what you're trying to be now you have good intentions for the people around you you're making choices that allow for growth and development and you're making choices towards becoming this person that other people want to be around that you want to be around someone who has the best interests of everyone around them at heart and who truly wants to protect love and care for those around them Awesome. So that's our introduction to choice. For today, we're going to stop there. I am going to get into a little bit about recovery and what I mean by having BPD and being able to recover. And then we're going to take a listener question about medication. Awesome. Are you tired of feeling frustrated, resentful, or disconnected from your family, friends, and partner? Thrive Mind Body LLC Mindset Coaching and Counseling can help you. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. Again, that's thriveonlinecounseling.com. And receive 10% off your first session pack with coupon code THRIVE10. See you then. So recently I've been getting a lot of people asking me why I keep saying that you can recover from BPD. There's confusion as to the idea of recovery because, you know, I think it's been pretty widely spread this idea that you can't recover from borderline personality disorder because it's a chronic illness. So I just wanted to take some time to clarify what I mean by recovery, what it means to me, and what it will mean for you if this is the path that you want to take. Many years ago, when borderline personality disorder was first being studied, it was considered a chronic disorder, meaning you'd have it forever and you'd always just have to deal with it. But over the last 25 years, researchers at the McLean Study of Adult Development or the McLean Center of Adult Development, have been studying borderline personality disorder. And it's a longitudinal study, so they're looking at the long-term course of BPD. This study is not very well known, 
but it is revolutionary. It has changed the view of borderline personality disorder from a chronic disorder to a serious mental illness with the best symptomatic prognosis. So again, that's the McLean Study of of Adult Development. It's an NIMH-funded study. You can go online, you can Google it, you can read all about it. You can go to www.mcleanhospital.org if you have any questions. So they are challenging the notion that borderline personality disorder is a chronic disorder, and they're saying it is a serious mental illness, but your symptoms can remit and you can also recover, and many people do. So when I talk about recovery from borderline personality disorder, I am not saying that I recovered from having a hyperbolic temperament. So remember in a few episodes back, I said that there's a genetic component to borderline personality disorder, and researchers now are now starting to believe that that's that genetic component involves our temperament and that we have a temperamental disturbance and that temperamental disturbance is considered a hyperbolic temperament so if you have that then you're very insistent and persistent and intense and you feel things very deeply and everything is you know, over the top temperament is not something that can be changed right? That is your nature. It is your instinct. I said this before and I'll say it again. I will always have this temperamental disturbance or a hyperbolic temperament. However, just because I have a hyperbolic temperament doesn't mean that I'm going to engage in behaviors that that cause me to meet the criteria for being disordered, for having borderline personality disorder. I've built new habits and new systems to change out the old habits and old systems that weren't working for me. So I recovered by changing the way I handle things. I updated my systems. I learned new skills. So, I, you know, I can have this hyperbolic temperament and feel sad without cutting myself. I can have this hyperbolic temperament and I can be happy without engaging in impulsive behavior like spending all of my money. You know, so I can have this level of self-awareness and live with this hyperbolic temperament as sort of a workaround without having the disorder. So is it true to say or correct to say that I have recovered from borderline personality disorder? The answer is yes. Is it correct to say that I've recovered from the temperament that's associated with the disorder? No, not at all. So if you're out there and you're wondering, well, how can I just recover from something that's chronic? Well, remember these things. Number one, recent research suggests that it's not a chronic disorder. It's a serious mental illness with a good prognosis. And number two, you can recover from the negative symptoms and the behaviors associated with the disorder, but you can't change your temperament. So if you have a hyperbolic temperament, you want to find a clinician out there who's familiar with that temperamental disturbance and you want to work with them on learning how to manage that and live with that and have, you know, a little bit more of um, a better handle on habits and systems that will help you. I hope that clarifies what I mean by recovery. And I know that this is something that's hard to wrap your mind around because if you've been in treatment for 20 years and, you know, the clinician or your therapist and your psychiatrist has been 
just telling you over and over again that this is something you're going to live with. And then you come and you hear my podcast, you know, what I have to say is going to be completely out of left field. So I do encourage you to go to mcleanhospital.org, mcleanhospital.org, excuse me, and see what they're all about. Look up hyperbolic temperament, look up this um, temperamental disturbance, do your research and see if you can figure out whether or not the treatment that you're in is just something that you're stuck in because your clinician has an up-to-date on the research or if it's something that's really helping you. And, you know, as always, I do work with people with borderline personality disorder. So if you're struggling to find a clinician, you know, reach out to me. I would love to work with you. I can, I do mindset coaching out of state and I do, which is more forward thinking, and I do therapy in the state of Pennsylvania. So, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out if you want to work with me or if you want some support. My email is rose at thriveonlinecounseling.com. I hope that helps clear things up, everyone. Hey there, I came across your podcast. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Um, I have a husband who has BPD and we just recently went to a psychiatrist uh, to find a proper medication for him. Um, I was curious about your um, opinion on medications, if you have gone through medication changes as well to help you and uh, or if you'd be interested in doing a podcast on that because that seems to be his number one concern is medications, the side effects. He's nervous about feeling flat. He's nervous about losing his memory. Um, so uh, and uh, mostly mood stabilizers is what I'm talking about. He's already prescribed Cymbalta for depression and uh, now they're looking for mood stabilizers. So I was just curious um, what your opinion is on it. And uh, yeah, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you so much. That message comes to us from Michelle, who is being so very supportive of her husband diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. All right, Michelle, well, I want to play a clip from Dr. Zanarini. She is currently the principal investigator of the McLean Study of Development. This is an NIMH-funded study of the long-term course of borderline personality disorder. So this study has changed the view of borderline personality disorder from a chronic disorder to now a serious mental illness with the best symptomatic prognosis. So take a listen to this clip and then I'll share some personal and clinical perspectives of my own. People who with this diagnosis are often prescribed what's called what I call aggressive polypharmacy, where they're on at least three standing meds at the same time typically an antipsychotic, an antidepressant, a mood stabilizer, and an anxiolytic. There's absolutely no proof that polypharmacy is better for someone than monotherapy, one medication at a time. And the trials, and I've been involved in quite a few, of these various types of medications indicate a modest response by patients. It beats placebo, but it's definitely not curative. And people do not pay, in my opinion, enough attention to the side effects, including weight gain, um, which just starts off an entire cascade from that to obesity-related illnesses, and you only get one body. It's just desperation. They're on twice as many as a person with schizophrenia. How can this possibly be? Um, so I think the issue of medication is an intriguing one. I think oftentimes is to help the patient calm down, which makes 
the trainer's life easier, which is actually not the point of medication to make the treater feel better. I hope y'all enjoyed that clip. That was taken from Borderliner Notes over at YouTube. They were fortunate enough to get an interview with Dr. Zanarini. They also have some other really awesome interviews and videos that she did that reiterates what you're hearing here on this podcast. So basically what she is saying is that taking more than one medication for borderline personality disorder is not proven to be any more effective than just taking one medication. So you can take more than one medication because that's usually what prescribers are given, but it might not be effective because the mood swings experienced by people with borderline personality disorder are more in relation to something social happening or to the individual not getting what they want. So being on a mood stabilizer as somebody with bipolar disorder would take a mood stabilizer, you know, wouldn't help some of the symptoms that come with a diagnosis unless the individual has bipolar disorder comorbid with borderline personality disorder, which 25% of people with borderline personality disorder do have that. But that's when the mood swings are driven by this, like almost like a biological clock, like this internal clock, right? So, you know, borderline mood swings are very different. They are, like I said, they're driven by this external social force. So if you're looking at what your husband should take or whether or not he should go on a mood stabilizer, you really want to think if that is the issue. Is that the problem? Are they treating, you know, a mood swing that's more bipolar in nature? Um, You know, and you asked about me, right? So personally, my experience with medication has been pretty negative overall. When I was in my early 20s, I was hospitalized for an eating disorder. And at the time, I was prescribed several different medications at once. And they were Buspar, Topamax, Trazodone, Lamictal, Abilify, Clonopin, Naltrexone. Yeah, that's... I mean, so many medications, right? There was naltrexone was given to me because I had bulimia, so it was supposed to somehow stop my addiction to food. Clonopin was given to me for anxiety. Buspar was given to me for anxiety. Topamax was given to me to offset the weight gain side effects of all of the other medications. Abilify was given to me as an antipsychotic, which was supposed to help with rage. Lamictal was given to me as a mood stabilizer, which was supposed to help with my mood because they had claimed at the time that I was bipolar type 2. Um, yeah, Otrazodone was given to me to help me sleep, which I really didn't have a problem sleeping. I guess it was to help me pass out because I was in inpatient treatment. But So I was on all of those medications at one time, and I have to say, currently I'm not taking any medication at all. Um, The most effective medication for me was actually a psychostimulant because for me, the biggest issue I had was impulsivity. So there is, you know, Viktor Frankl says that between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. So having the ability to have something happen in the environment around me, 
and then to take a step back, think about what I was going to say before I said it, or think about what I was going to do before I did it, and then engage in the behavior was really powerful for me because I was able to stop some of the negative behavior patterns with that medication. So Ritalin was the most effective med. I don't need to take it anymore because when I was taking it, I was hyper aware of the fact that I didn't want to become addicted to this medication. So I was in recovery and I was determined to recover. So I worked with the medication and I recognize what it feels like to have that space. There are still times where I sort of like ramp up like the Energizer Bunny, but I have enough uh, self-awareness to take a step back and say, okay, you know, what you're doing is you're going on this impulsive path and you need to create that response space, excuse me, between the stimulus and the, the response that you have. Um, aside from... Ritalin. Something else that helped me is CBD oil. I also have a lot of clients who have, if it's legal in their state, they have a medical marijuana card. Medical marijuana, some of the strains that are used help take the edge off of some of the symptoms and people find them to be much more effective than aggressive polypharmacy because there are less side effects. So, I mean, there are several different directions to go in, but my advice to you with medication would be to make sure that the medication that your husband, your loved one, or that you're taking is a medication that actually helps your symptoms. So if you find that your mood swings are driven by something in the social environment, but you're taking a medication that helps with mood stabilization for someone with bipolar disorder, then you might want to rethink that medication because they're two different presentations of mood swings. They're two, it's, you know, two different beasts, essentially. So, you know, my belief is that treatment in, con in conjunction with mono pharmacy, which is like one medication, would be the best treatment option. And even considering CBD oil or medical marijuana as well for treatment, you know, outside of the psychopharmacology realm would be awesome. I hope that was helpful, Michelle. And thank you so much for your question. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.